welcome to the third season of Scene to Song, a musical theater podcast for people who love to discuss, critique, and celebrate musicals as a literary art form. I'm your host, Shoshana Greenberg, and each episode I'll bring on a guest to talk about a musical, musical theater writer, or a topic or trend in musical theater. My guest today is Kirk Hamilton. Kirk is a writer and musician living in Portland, Oregon, where he works on various musical projects. He also produces and hosts the Music Explainer podcast, Strong Songs, which picks apart famous songs and helps listeners hear them in a new way. We're going to talk today about the musical Hamilton. Kirk, I'm so excited you. Uh, I'm so excited you're on the podcast. Thank you so much for for being here. Shoshana, it is my pleasure. I'm glad to be here, and I will take any excuse to talk about Hamilton. Kirk has his own podcast where he talks about Hamilton, and uh, I excitedly invited him to talk more about Hamilton. So we're going to be doing that. But first, we are going to do our get to know our guest questions. What was your first experience with a musical? That is an interesting question. I guess, I mean, it was probably a Disney movie, right? Isn't that everybody's answer? Because, like, when you're a kid, you probably, like, I'm not totally sure what it was, but I feel like the first musical that I ever saw was most likely a Disney musical, like Snow White or something like that. But I think my first, the first experience I remember, like, seeing a musical on stage was probably Cats as a kid. Um, I I don't think I've ever seen a show on Broadway, but I grew up in um, a college town in Indiana and they would have touring productions come through. So a touring production of Cats came through when I was probably like eight or nine or something. And we went and saw it, maybe a little older than that, maybe I was like 12. Anyways, um, and I thought it was great. And it's funny that everyone is talking about Cats now because I haven't seen the movie and I haven't seen the musical in a long time either. I did see it a few years later when I was a little more grown up and realized just how completely bonkers that musical is, just how totally um, how totally strange it is. But that I think that was the first time I ever just had the experience or can at least remember the experience of like watching people on a stage singing and dancing together and doing something. And like the realization of, oh, these people are all wearing leotards and like cattails and they're dressed up like cats. And this is, these are human beings doing this thing. And um, I have a kind of vivid-ish memory of that, even though I was like 12 years old at the time. What is the last great musical you saw? Hamilton, actually. <laughs> the last <laughs> the last great musical that I saw on stage was Hamilton. Um, I went and saw it finally in San Francisco. I man, I had been planning to not to not listen to the original cast recording and then, you know, go see it and see it for the first time and then sort of just broke that plan and listen to the original cast recording for like I was like visiting some cousins and I knew they were really into it and I wanted to have something to talk to them about. So I I just put it on and immediately was like, oh, this is incredible. I'm just going to listen to this entire thing. And I like listened to the whole thing and then didn't see it for maybe another year after that. But that was, I guess, not quite a year ago. That was last year when it began its run in San Francisco, which I think is still going. I was down visiting family in the Bay Area and we went and saw it and it was really cool. And I think that's really what we're going to talk about this episode. So I won't say too much about it now, but that was the last, the last great music that I saw. I don't, I don't go to enough musicals. They have, they come through Portland where I live, but um, I don't go. I've talked with my partner about getting um, season tickets, and maybe we'll have to do that next year because I want to go to see more musicals actually on stage. What moves you the most in a piece of music or a musical theater song? 
Man, um, that's tough. I mean, I'm a sucker for the usual big emotions, you know, love and loss. I think the thing that gets me the most is like the I Want song, the Disney I Want song. I love I love songs that are about unmet potential or the dreams of the future. I think that's always something that musicals can kind of reliably do. And I also like it. I like uh, circular the way that musicals can so often be circular with their motifs and the ways that they bring ideas back in the end. And I can find it very moving when I realize that something that was set up two hours ago is now paying off in an unexpected way or a motif or like a lyric is being reworked. Obviously, Hamilton does this a lot. A lot of great musicals do this. It's kind of being reworked in some way that subverts it or twists it in some way. A lot of times I can find that very moving just almost beyond the story, just as a creative decision. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's what they were building toward this whole time. That's so beautiful. And I tend to find that uh, very moving. What's a musical people might be surprised to find out you love and why would they be surprised? I do. I've heard, I'm on it. I do a couple other podcasts and one of my co-hosts, she was like, oh, I'm sure you're not a Disney person. And I was like, no, no, no. <laughs> I really like Disney movies. I've seen almost all of them and I like pretty much every Disney musical. So I don't know. I really like Frozen. Frozen and Frozen 2. And given that I'm this sort of jazz musician, you know, I guess I could be seen as a music snob, even though I'm totally not. That might be surprising. But, um, and I know, well, is it the thing that music theater people are sort of snobbish sometimes about Frozen? I like Frozen anyways. I think it's a good musical. I think it has good songs. So maybe that. Who is a composer or songwriter you would love to see write a musical? There's this, I thought about this one for a little while. It's got to be Beyonce, right? I feel like Beyonce is the answer, the the clearest answer, even though I kind of feel like, yeah, well, so did you see, I mean, she's kind of done a musical, right? Like Lemonade was kind of a musical. Like obviously it wasn't as narratively traditional as a musical, but it kind of was. And did you see that um, Homecoming, the Netflix special that was about her Coachella performance? Like, No. It was... Oh, it was, it's amazing. I highly recommend watching it. It is really, really cool. It gives you a really cool perspective on her and just how unbelievably driven she is and like what a sort of visionary performer she is. And it definitely gives a taste of what a Beyonce musical might look like. I just, I think she has a lot of stories to tell. It's the kind of thing that would be amazing. I don't know what it would look like. It would be constantly surprising. And so I think that's why I would want to see that. So I guess that's my pick is Beyonce. What is a moment in a musical that you think gets to a complex emotional state you didn't think was possible to get to? I mean, I think there's a lot of bittersweetness in musicals. I think musicals do bittersweetness very well. And bittersweet is one of those magic emotions that uh, the best music really captures it. I've been thinking a lot about Swedish music lately. I've been talking about uh, the Cardigans and before that ABBA on my show and how there's always this kind of there's like a darkness under the brightness. ABBA definitely has that in their music. And the Cardigans also had that in a lot of their songs. This sort of beautiful candy-colored surface with a more grim or dark or weird thing underneath it. And I think as much as music is good at that in general, when a musical captures that feeling of things are beautiful, things are great, but are they really? Are things really great? Like that to me is is a kind of a, it, if it's done right, if it's not overdone, it's not overly, you know, bitter or overly sweet, it can be like a really powerful thing, I think. Oh, cool. Well, let's move on to our topic, which is, of course, the musical Hamilton. And I think we have, we have two, two things yes. we're going to touch on talking about this. One, I, I'm excited to hear 
your your take on this because I have actually never seen Hamilton on the stage. I'm I've only listened to the album, so mm. um, we're going to talk about uh, mm-hmm. Eliza and her visual role in the show. Um, the visuals of the show are on par with the music, which, given how much of a masterpiece I think that it is from a compositional songwriting standpoint, that's pretty wild. Like that, the visual, you know, the choreography, the stage design, the way that they do everything, just the way that people move around on stage is equally impressive and layered. I've only seen it the one time and I need to see, you know, I've listened to it so many times and gone on piano and made a whole Strong Songs episode about um, Satisfied and sort of picked apart all the motifs and everything. I would love to do the same thing for the show visually, which I haven't done. So I should preface that by saying I saw it once, I had some thoughts about it, and that's kind of, that's kind of what I've got. But yeah, I guess... Eliza. So Eliza is a tough character. What's your take on Eliza in Hamilton in general? What do you what do you think of her? Just from just from listening to it, it seems like my take was that she was kind of like this silent, not silent because she's singing throughout, but she's like more of like the silent wife who Mm -hmm. is like um telling Hamilton like spend some more time at home like be with your family and mm-hmm. just goes through the mo- like the you know the life experiences of marriage having children losing her child and after Hamilton's death then she takes on another kind of wifely role of you know taking her husband her late husband's work and continuing it um so it seems it mm-hmm. uh, it kind of seems very like I know she's a strong character, but she's kind of just taking on like the, tr- mm. the traditional kind of wife right. roles. Yeah, it's tough. Like, so listening to the show, it's definitely like the role itself is a little bit of a thankless role. Like, Philippa Sue is really good in the original cast recording, and she's a great singer. She does a really good job. Helpless is like a wonderful song. But first off, it's like, yeah, it's a story about a man, and it's a, in a very male world. I mean, this is like a world where women couldn't even vote, and so all the founding fathers were men, and that's kind of the premise, and then they twisted some, and they subverted some, and we get these lines with, like, you know, I'm going to compel him to include women in the sequel, and they're they're nodding at this, like, more progressive mentality, even though the true story is, like, these guys, like, wrote the Constitution and didn't give women the right to vote. So she, you know, it's hard for her to have more of a role given the historical context. But even then, like, looking at the musical, yeah, it's tricky because she's basically the person saying, don't go have, do the cool war stuff in the first act. (laughs) Like, don't go fight. I want you to come home and be safe. And then she's like, don't go, you know, don't go back to Washington. And she's kind of mad about that. And then she and Angelica are like, no, come up, stay with us. And he's like, no, I have to go. And then he totally cheats on her. And then she just is really sad about it. And then her son dies and she like grieves her son. And so it's everything that she does, right, is kind of through the lens of Alexander Hamilton, which fair enough because the musical is about Alexander Hamilton. But the role, just as you listen to it, I was like, yeah, this feels kind of like a thankless role to me. When I saw the show, the fundamentals of the part are the same. Like, it is still a thankless role. It is a woman who lives entirely within the context of a male lead character. But the performance that I saw, and I'm forgetting the actress's name who played her, but seeing Eliza on stage was amazing, actually. Like, it made me completely 
re like I guess not completely, but it made me uh, reinterpret the role a little bit because there's a lot. She gets to do a lot of acting. Like she's very, you know, she's grieving for the whole second act or for the second half of the second act. But when she sings, for example, "Burn," which is kind of her big song, it's. I have a new appreciation for that song after seeing a person on stage performing it because it's a really anguished song. It's really sad. And it's sad in this, speaking of complex emotions, I guess, it's like she's sad about something she knew was going to happen. And this is an inevitability. There's so much talk of the like destiny and of inevitability in this musical, like that he'll never be satisfied. And how, you know, that was the whole thing with Angelica being like, be careful with this one. And then when she talks to her in that song, she's like, he's a Nick, you've married an Icarus, he's flown too close to the sun. Like this is, we all knew this was going to happen. And in the way of, it's like, it's almost like this grand fable or a myth or something. He had to go and do this. I, I think it's kind of undercut. Like the grandeur of this is undercut by the fact that we're talking about him just going and like having sex with some other lady. <laughs> like he just cheated on his wife, which was just like a lame thing to do. But it, you know, it's a musical, so things are heightened, I guess. So I really liked seeing her perform that song. And at the end, there's this line where she's like, "You, you, you!" Like she's so furious, and that comes across in the cast recording, but it came across much more strongly in the performance. I'm like seeing her face and seeing her reacting to it. So that to me was pretty cool. You told the whole world how you brought this girl into our bed. In clearing your name, you have ruined our lives. Do you know what Angelica said when she read what you'd done? She said, You've married an Icarus. He has flown too close to the sun. And your words obsessed with your legacy Your sentences border on senseless And you are paranoid in every paragraph How they perceive you You, you, you I'm erasing myself from the narrative let future historians wonder how Eliza reacted when you broke her heart. You have torn it all apart, I'm watching it burn. And then the ending, like you mentioned, it really is an interesting ending to this musical because it's Alexander Hamilton's story and it's called Hamilton and it's all about him. But there's this running theme, right, of like who lives, who dies and who tells your story. And there's a running theme with Eliza where she keeps saying, like, I want to be part of the narrative. At first, she's like, let me in. Let me be a part of your narrative. And then she's like, F you, buddy. You cheated on me. I'm taking myself out of the narrative. Like, I'm done with you. We're, we're going to keep living together, but you're not part of my life anymore. And she, like, burns all the letters he wrote her and is like, I'm done. I'm out of this. And then she puts herself back in. She, like, forgives him and comes back in, which is a nice arc only in that it winds up being the kind of climax of the whole show is that what really matters here and kind of the theme of the musical is we need to tell this guy's story because he was a worthy person. He was like a hero of our country that no one even knew about. They were going to take him off the $10 bill or whatever before this musical came out. And so she's the one who carries it on and then she does all these amazing things. She lives another 50 years. That line always destroys right. me when she's like, I live another 50 years. It's like, yes, like you lived this whole other lifetime after him and did all these great things and you know, founded this orphanage. And that I think is a pretty amazing redemption. It doesn't 
suddenly make the musical secretly about Eliza. I'm not going to go and pretend that, you know, she has some great role or anything, but seeing her on stage, that was very cool. And there's one thing, at least in the production I saw in San Francisco at the very, very end, where she says, I can't wait to see you again. This is the very end of the musical. And I will warn people, this is like a thing that at least in my production I saw. So if you don't want to hear this, skip ahead 10 seconds. But um, it ended with her seeing him again. Like that was how the musical ended. And it wasn't something you could hear in the cast recording, but it was that she's like, oh, I can't wait to see you again. It's only a matter of time. And they sing the word time over and over again. Beautiful thing. And then it closes kind of like a spotlight on her face and then this just like look of delight and then that's the end of the show. So it's her seeing him again, which is so, it was amazing. Like it really knocked me out because I totally wasn't expecting it. And then suddenly it was just this extra element, like an extra little open to interpretation, you know, just kind of beautiful thing at the very end of the show. So I thought that was really cool too and something that you could only see in her face on stage. Right, right. There's so much in musicals that, you know, we have it's so great we have these cast recordings, especially ones that are so thorough oh, as yeah. the Hamilton one. But yeah. there's so And for shows that are so expensive. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but there's so much in musicals that are in stage directions and directorial choices and acting choices that are part mm-hmm. of the that are part oh, of the story. Yeah, it um is a really visually striking show. It's partly like the, the choreography is just totally bananas. Um it uh man, it <laughs> so this is a really minimal set to anyone who hasn't seen what the set looks like. You know, it just is this stage. It looks kind of like there's like wooden pillars and planks, there's a lot of ropes everywhere. There's some really cool interviews I've read with the set designer, the stage, or like the prop designer. They have all these really strict specifications about the ropes and about the planks of wood. Like the ropes need to be this exact length. It's like this very, very detailed, um, detail, like a detail-obsessed thing. And every single production has to match them. And it's not a complex set just in terms of, I don't know, like a helicopter flying on stage or the Phantom of the Opera, like dropping a chandelier onto the stage. Like it isn't that kind of a set. There are no major prop set pieces, but the moving, the way that they do it, it feels very modern to me. And I don't know from musical theater exactly. I haven't seen every single show, but it feels modern to me in the way that the cast are often doing a lot of the prop work. Like they're resetting these sort of tableaus in the middle of the stage, which is very cool and kind of matches with a lot of the sort of flow of the songs. It feels super organic and kind of connected to the way that the music is also this, you know, much more kind of fluid rhythmic thing. So um, yeah, the choreography is just amazing. Andy Blankenbuehler, man, nice. He also did In the Heights. Um, So the stage has a rotating section in the middle. And it's not, I'm pretty sure I'm remembering this right. It's there's So there's a circle cut out in the middle, but it's not like the whole circle in the middle of the stage rotates. It's more like a circle with another circle cut out and just the outer rim of the circle rotates. Oh, yeah. So there's I've kind of a like maybe five foot. Okay, so there's like a five foot diameter circle that rotates and people can stand on another side of it without moving. And it's used to so many creative, in so many creative ways. Like it just blew me away. There's a couple of times where someone will be walking in the opposite direction while it's rotating. And like, they do a lot of stuff with that kind of motion, like where it looks like they're, they're walking in place. 
or on a treadmill because it's rotating toward them and they're walking into it. And then they'll stop and they'll begin moving the other direction and people will be walking. And it's almost like, you know, one person will be moving through time differently. If you can imagine in a movie, you know, when they do the effect in a movie where a person is standing still and everyone around them is moving in fast forward, like it's like a time-lapse trick. It creates that kind of a thing, like a, a kind of a sense of time-lapse, which is cool because... The musical is all about time. Like, time is, what, it's not quite the last word, but it's one of the last words of the musical. Like, time is this big theme. And um, the passage of time is really important. And this thing looks like a clock, for starters. Like, it's rotating mm, like a big clock yeah. face. And they never get that obvious with it, but it's, you can see this sort of rotation, like, circular, you know, vibe to the way that the people are moving on stage, which given how circular the music often is with these recycled motifs and these themes that come back again and again and again, um, it fits really beautifully visually with what's going on musically. I think that's very cool. There's the duels are all done using the circle, like the rotating circle. So when there's a duel, the two duelists will stand on opposite ends of the circle. And Man, like at the end, when he gets shot, when he gets killed by Burr, that sequence is this just, I can't say enough about it. It's so cool. The The cast is all around him. I'm going to try to remember the particulars, but I, like I said, I've only seen it once. But there's a moment where, so you know, the whole thing is with the shot and throwing away your shot, and he throws away his shot. He raises his pistol to the sky, doesn't shoot at Burr. Burr shoots at him and kills him. And there's a moment where time stops, right? And you can tell this. I remember the first time I listened to the recording. Um, he does the, I, you know, I imagine death so much it feels more like a memory. And it's just him and there's no accompaniment. And you can tell what's happening. You're like, okay, time has frozen. Burr has shot at him. The bullet is moving toward him. Death is coming. And he is now like in this moment before death when like this infinite moment or something. I imagine death so much it feels more like a memory. Is this where it gets me? On my feet, several feet ahead of me? I see it coming. Do I run or fire my gun or let it be? There is no beat, no melody. Burr, my first friend, my enemy. Maybe the last face I ever see. If I throw away my shot, is this how you remember me? The way they recreate it is basically that. They're rotating on the stage, Burr shoots, everything freezes, and he turns to the audience and delivers that monologue. As he does it, there's a um a backup dancer is or just a you know, a chorus member is um holding the bullet. Because there obviously there aren't really bullets moving, but when Burr shoots, she takes her hands and like pinches her fingers together right in front of his gun. And then she's slowly moving it through the air toward Hamilton as he delivers his monologue. So it's like she's holding his shot in a way, right? And it's like coming toward him. And you can see it's a way of kind of representing this impossible to represent on a stage thing of this bullet time, you know, like a John Woo movie or something, but a much more dramatic version coming toward him. And it was like, I almost didn't notice it. I just saw this was happening and was so much was happening at once. It was very overwhelming. And then thinking about it afterward, it just knocked me out. The idea that that's how they kind of capture the idea of this bullet you know of the future and his death coming to him very very cool awesome should we move on to talking about nonstop? sure i want to hear i want to talk about nonstop. i want to hear what you think about nonstop. i'm i'm glad you <clears throat> wanted to talk about nonstop because it's my favorite um type of song oh, nice. that well my favorite type of song that mm -hmm. lin-manuel mm -hmm. miranda writes 
which is the basically the act one closer, <laughs> which is like when all yeah, like yeah, these different yeah. like themes of the show so far or just different people's stories start to overlap and they all come together in this mm -hmm. big like kind of kapow type of like moment <laughs> and then it's like you know intermission um so i'm excited there's so much in this song that is like yeah, musically geez. lyrically that's doing that uh it's so it's mm -hmm. so complex in that way there's so many sections that um and things happening yeah so i got i get a lot of emails so i did this episode about um satisfied on my show strong songs and this wound up being a surprising experience in a lot of ways like i went in thinking i love this musical i'm going to pick it apart and then i got into it and really started learning it on piano and realizing the depth of the music of this show and you know so that one is all about angelica's motif um, Angelica, she, that's her motif. She sings it when she introduces herself. Eliza sings, Eliza. And like, though it's like a perfect fourth and Angelica's thing. And once you start to, or once I started to find those little, you know, motifs, I started to hear them everywhere. And then you start to realize like, holy crap, this entire musical is built out of these tiny little things. And nonstop is like a freak show level like collision of all of these motifs at the same time every time i listen to it i hear new things yeah i think it's funny you know it is an act one closer like it it brings everything together though do you kind of agree that the climax of act one and kind of arguably of the whole musical is a couple songs earlier is the battle of yorktown i mean that's possible and maybe not having seen it on stage like i wouldn't pick that out as much but um well it's like a semantical the, thing like they're they're, yeah. they're very different songs and they both are high energy I, i'd sort of i see them as two different things i'm curious how you see those two songs i think just because this one has what i like kind of come to associate with an act one closer with all like the the different things coming together mm -hmm. and maybe i'm thinking a lot about his act one closer of in the heights um blackout which right. just has like that mm -hmm. similar build um, and uh, like the, of the different different strands of the story coming together musically like that and like that same like literal mm -hmm. pal with the fireworks um, that I'm like associating <laughs> this um, with that with that right. kind of placement in the show. Yeah, that makes sense. I I think, so when I f first listened to this, I wasn't really aware where the act break was. Right, right. And I think now it tells you, but I was just listening like on Spotify or something and I just went straight through it. And I and I think it was like anticip in anticipation of going to see it, I started finally thinking, oh, where is the act break? And what you're saying is totally true. I think like the traditional end of an act tends to be the song where you re-meet every character from the first act and they all sing a little bit, which is totally nonstop. Because I just was thinking narratively for a long time, I was like, well, I mean, the Battle of Yorktown, the ending is so epic. I mean, that's like the climax. It's kind of the last good moment ever. Like, it becomes a much more weird and naughty and difficult story after they win and become independent because that's where he ruins himself. He blows up his marriage. Like, his son gets killed. Then he gets killed. There's all this drama over, like, him and his sex scandal. Like, it becomes a much messier story where the the clean narrative of guy shows up, he's really smart, he meets up with George Washington, they get the gang together, everyone fights, it's great, we, like, win our independence. That kind of ends at Battle of Yorktown. Ooh. 
And so for a long time, I thought, oh, this song is obviously like at the end of the song, boom. And then they begin the post-war stuff in the second mm-hmm. act. Yeah, then, no, of course, I sense. learned that nonstop is the end. Right. And when I learned that and then really listened to nonstop, I finally kind of realized what you're saying, like what the truth is, is that that song is, of course, it's like a total capper for the whole first act because it takes everybody, tells you where they are now, reminds you of how you met them, and then kind of sets you up for the second act. So yeah, (laughs) so musically, the song is cool. It's so tense. Like it's not a very happy song, which makes sense because it's kind of setting up a lot of not happy stuff like do you think i feel like a lot of people probably just listen to the first half of hamilton like they listen to the whole thing but then when they're just listening for fun they listen to the first act and then they're like i'm good i'll I'll go listen to something else now right i feel like that's pretty common (laughs) and so this groove it's got that like boom 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 it's this very you know bump bump why do you write like you're running out of time like you're running out of time Every day you fight like you're running out of time Keep on fighting in the meantime Non-stop. Corruption's such an old song that we can sing along in harmony And nowhere is it stronger than in Albany This colony's economy's increasingly stalling And honestly that's why public service Just seems to be calling It's like not a very settled chord progression It just is in a kind of unsettled place which makes sense because it's supposed to be capturing this mental energy of alexander hamilton and his like incessant mind and his inability to stop writing and um you know so they go through this whole thing he's like a lawyer it's him and burr and he kind of is this know-it-all who can't shut up and then they get into the federalist papers it is wild how much happens <laughs> yeah. in this song. Like, the Federalist Papers get written. That's, um, like, my favorite up, part what, of the is, song, this is, this actually. Is... When the Federalist Papers get written, it's my favorite part. That of song this, is great. Song. There was a thing I never noticed during that section is that in the background, when I think it's Alex or Aaron Burr is the one who delivers the speech where he's like, so-and-so got sick, you know, James, like, this guy wrote 12, James Madison wrote some kind of big number. I feel like Madison doesn't get enough credit during that section. Madison they're like, they're like James 29. Madison wrote 28, but then Hamilton yeah. wrote 51, <laughs> right. 29. Yeah. yeah. But I'm like, that's impressive. I mean, James Madison was, James Madison yeah, could get true. a little more credit than he does in this musical. <laughs> I feel like that dude was, he kind of, he kind of did some impressive stuff, but, um, and then right. Hamilton wrote the other 51 or is that it? 51. 51 and yeah. um, the music in the background of that section is, Alexander Hamilton, the song, which is the thing. That, ah. It's like one of those. Every time I listen to this musical, I hear something new. Yeah. And yeah. I was listening to it. I was like, wait a minute. And it's like, and it's just it plays through the whole thing on piano, and it like changes keys, and it goes up when he starts getting into it about how Hamilton wrote so much. Yeah, I was hoping you would illuminate for me what that music was because I'm like listening to this, and I'm like, why? What is working under this speech that making it so powerful that by the time they get to the end, mm-hmm. when they say how. Hamilton wrote the other 51. It's like this big Man. revelatory thing where you're like, Hamilton oh, wrote so... 51. That's amazing. How... <laughs> right. It's, it's like, like, I've never felt 50... that excited about somebody writing essays. essays. <laughs> I mean, he was just sitting there, right? Right. But wow. The most like... amazing thing. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. it's really well done. So it's, I think it's that that is playing in the background, which is a nice little subtle nod to just Alexander Hamilton. 
they change keys. So in the middle of the section, which is really smart, it's like, bah, 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 and he starts talking about it. And he's like, in total, they wrote this many things, blah, blah, blah. And then it, when he starts listing off the numbers, it goes up a whole step. So that's one thing. It's like it just gets higher there, and the strings come in, and it starts this kind of the beat comes back in, because the beat totally drops out for the first part. So it's smart scaling. Band comes in. And then also, I really just think that Leslie Odom Jr., who is so incredible as Aaron Burr, his delivery of that line, where he's like, Hamilton wrote the other 51 like he's he sounds kind of angry and impressed because he would be because that's very on brand for Burr and like that delivery I think is the last thing it just gives you shivers you're like holy cow like he's uh, so amazing it's very good myth making right that section Alexander joins forces with James Madison and John Jay to write a series of essays defending the new United States Constitution entitled the Federalist Papers the plan was to write a total of 25 essays, the work divided evenly among the three men. In the end, they wrote 85 essays in the span of six months. John Jay got sick after writing five. James Madison wrote 29. Hamilton wrote the other 51. And then the rest of the song is just, I mean, we get Angelica's theme. If you've listened to the strong songs on, on Satisfied, like that, now that I've kind of gotten my head around that theme that plays whenever Angelica turns up, which is this inverted and and regular like forward and backward versions of her motif. Man, God, this musical is so good. Um, so when when she comes on and she sings about how she's going overseas and she's found a new husband, that's playing in the background. Then, um, man, we get a helpless reprise where Eliza comes out and sings helpless, but then she's also singing her own motif. And then they're mixed together. The two of them are like singing at him at once. And he's saying like, I have to go leave or go lead. They're asking me to lead. I'm, you know, I have to go become the secretary of treasury. Like it's really a it's a symphonic thing right it's like taking all of your motifs and then uniting them in this sort of symphonic way and then it ends in a really jangly loud weird place i mean she like angelica is like he will never be satisfied and like eliza's singing helpless and then he's like going really fast and the chords are kind of discordant and intense it's not like i guess it's it's such a different way to end it it's it's very triumphant and loud but it's not very happy. I guess it's another one of those complex emotions. <laughs> like it isn't like the world turned upside down or you know the triumph of the end of Yorktown. It's a more thorny, complicated, loud, cacophonous thing. Like it, it and so it it has like a, it has a very cool energy to it. And when you start looking at the pieces, the fact that Lin-Manuel Miranda put all that together and made it all work, it's like a house of cards that's, you know, holding up a an actual house or something. I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know what the good metaphor is, but it's really, really, really impressive. Well, and I'll just like, just the foreshadowing of everything. I mean, you know, he's going to die, but like yeah. just the whole, how do you, why sure. do you write like you're running out of time? I mean, that's just like a, that image mm-hmm. of somebody who like accomplished so much at a young age and you're like uh, before dying young and they're like Mm -hmm. putting that on him now you know as like somebody who 
is going to die. So he's writing like he's running out of time. They do a lot with that kind of our knowledge of what's coming. You know, obviously with Burr starting out on the damn fool that shot him. And from there, they tell you, they're like, if you don't know the story, if you haven't seen the milk commercial, (laughs) you don't know (laughs) that Aaron Burr is going to shoot Hamilton at the end of this. Like, you will, now you know. We're spoiling you at the very beginning so that we can play with all this foreshadowing. There's one thing, man, to to skip ahead a little bit, but um, in The Eye of the Hurricane, which is kind of a funny song in some ways. just thematically because he's basically that song is so i love that song in the eye of the hurricane it's so dramatic it's beautiful it's kind of like calling back to the chords from battle of yorktown that chord progression is really cool but it's also him being like i had an affair and i got caught yeah (laughs) like that's that's the actual stakes like it's like super drama in the eye of the hurricane there is quiet but it's like i got caught cheating on my wife (laughs) and i really need to tell everyone about it and he's like i'll write my way out of this too so it's got all these great lyrics when he's like i wrote my way to revolution i was louder than the crack in the bell like one of the best lyrics in the whole musical even though the premise is like you just don't think about it you go with it because like it's a great song but there's the moment where he's like i couldn't seem to die and then in the background burr goes wait for it and it's like he basically is saying i couldn't seem to die and then burr is like wait for it dude <laughs> like, i'm gonna kill you which is like one of those things i heard the 50th time i listened to the music right, or something right. i was like what that is crazy i was 12 when my mother died she was holding me we were sick and she was holding me i couldn't seem to die wait for it wait for it a thing I noticed too is that during Burn, Eliza is singing when she's like, You forfeit the right to our bed, you'll sleep in your off. That part where she's singing that is her motif again. It's like, Do, do, do. So it's like, Eliza, but she's singing this very angry thing to him. It just keeps, anytime I'm like, I'm going to learn a new song from Hamilton on piano, I just then sit there slapping my forehead for like 10 <laughs> minutes, being like, Holy crap, what? Like, how? Yeah. Well, I was going to say that. In between those two songs is another favorite of like a uh, big sequence song of mine, which is the Reynolds pamphlet, um, which oh, I also man, wanted yeah. to talk about. But before we go to that, I do want to uh, maybe we should finish talking about nonstop <laughs> before we talk about sure, Reynolds sure. pamphlets. I mean, we can move on or whatever. I, I feel like. The fun thing about nonstop is that because it contains kind of the entirety of the musical, you can use it to pivot to anything that's else. True. And that's what's that's true. what I, I think is so impressive about it. Right. But I did want to point out in nonstop two two of my favorite lyrical things that happen in oh, the song, yeah, but yeah. also happen throughout the whole show. So it's cool. So I just love throughout the whole show that um, Lin-Manuel Miranda is using all these like homonyms and whatever the other... There's oh, like my, homophones, my right? Homophones. Yeah, ho- yeah, homophones and homophones. Yeah. So, like, mm-hmm. the my favorite one is I forget which song this is in, but uh, something with the Skylar sisters. Maybe when they go to New York, um, and they're like, uh, mm-hmm. "You disgust me," and he's like, "Oh, so you've disgusted <laughs> me?" Nah, so you've disgusted <laughs> me. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like very good. You know, it's like a different word, but it sounds the same. So it's it's super fun. And in this mm-hmm. song, you have um, in nonstop, you have the junior the they're they're Burr and Hamilton are talking toward the beginning, and Burr says there is a new there there as a New York junior delegate, and Hamilton says now what I'm going to say you may to say may sound <laughs> indelicate indelicate. 
There is a New York junior delegate. Now what I'm gonna say may sound indelicate. Uh. It's not a rhyme, but it's like, it's functioning sort of in a similar way in that mm -hmm. like your ear is being like, wait, was that the same word? It's not the same word, but it sounds the same. Hamilton and Burr, when they're introduced in the beginning, they have that whole like rhyming <laughs> thing with Burr's name, like oh, yeah. Burr, sir, Burr, sir. And it comes back in this song, which is so cool, where he's um, Alexander mm -hmm. Aaron Burr, sir, in the middle. It's the middle of the night. Can we confer, sir? Like that that use of mm -hmm. like the, the rhyme comes back. Um, like that's how we talk to each other kind of thing. Remember? <laughs> right, right, right. That and of course, like we punched you punched the burser. That's the part where oh, you're like, burser. come on, you're just showing off. <laughs> then the, oh, and the other lyrical thing. I now I I can't remember which song this was in in the beginning, but there's that great line mm -hmm. where Hamilton is talking to Burr and he says like, well, "The revolution's imminent. What do you stall for? If you stand for nothing, Burr. What'll you fall for?" That rhyme comes back in nonstop. Uh, what are you waiting for? What do you stall right, for? I'm remembering what, it. We won what the war. What was it for? all for? Right. Um, and I, I mm -hmm. feel like I'm waiting for that line again. Like, what will you fall for? I, but that was before. But it's kind of like harkening back. Oh, you're that. right. Hey, what are you waiting for? What do you stall for? What? We won the war. What was it all for? Because it's totally, it's right before my shot. He says, if you stand for nothing, Burr, what will you fall, you fall for? for? And right. here, that's cool. I'd actually never noticed that before. So it's just so cool to like really look through and like you see all these little like lyric, like yeah. lyric motifs, I guess, that mm -hmm. were um, yeah, yeah. kind of part of the first act um, coming back and the way people talk. Well, it's mostly mm -hmm. Hamilton and yeah, Burr. Yeah, it's so, gosh. But yeah, the Reynolds pamphlet, it's not as like, big and things coming yeah. together like nonstop, but there's all this stuff that comes back in that one too, which I don't know. I just, mm -hmm. for some reason, the Reynolds pamphlet really speaks to me <laughs> as like a, a- Like what? I want to hear what like are your things a, that you like about know. it. It's just like the, I think musically it's so weird. And mm -hmm. um, I mean, you have the whole, like, he's never going to be president now thing that's that's mm -hmm. new that's like new material but then you have angelica coming back with her i know my sister like i know my own mind which you talked about on the satisfied episode because it's in your satisfied episode because it's in mm -hmm. that song but it's like it's very satisfying <laughs> to hear it come back here right um and she's kind of and it's just and in such a different context right like. and it's the whole thing where like I don't know. He like sees her and he's like, Angelica, thank God, someone who understands. And she's like, I'm not here for you. <laughs> she's like, no, dude, like yeah. I'm here for my sister. Because remember, that's the most important thing. The reason that I gave you to her in the first place was to make her happy because I love her more than anybody. Right. Uh, stylistically, I think it's cool that you mentioned that it sounds kind of different. This song has got like, I'm not a hip hop expert or anything, but this song feels much more modern to me. Like it feels kind of like Southern, like it's pretty grindy, like the beat is like a drum machine that like boom tick, 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 like it's got this dark groove no have you read this Angelica, thank God someone who understands what I'm struggling here to do. I'm not a 
not here for you. I know my sister like I know my own mind. You will never find anyone as trusting or as kind. I love my sister more than anything in this life. I will choose her happiness over mine every time. Put what we had aside. I'm standing at her side. You can never be satisfied. God, I hope you're there's even the guy at the end who's kind of auto-tuned, like Lil Wayne, where he's like, you ever see somebody ruin their own life? It's kind of auto-tuned. It has that sound of like that more 2000s era rap. And there's a lot of stuff like that in this musical that I think is on purpose, where like the genre, or like the era of rap or music, just American music, more beyond just rap, like that they're calling from ties in with what they're trying to say, like the way that Thomas Jefferson shows up and sings like a boogie woogie rock and roll song, What I Miss. He, cause he's kind of this guy who's out of it. Like he's this old guy who's like sort of coming in and he has like a more old fashioned sensibility. There's a million like rap shout outs, but it's cool that during this one section, they make things sound more modern and a little less, you know, like maybe a slightly different decade than other parts of the musical. I think that's that's a pretty cool little thing. Yeah, it's and it's it's kind of like it's for it like because I think the context of this song is kind of modern or we we relate to it in a modern uh, way. Sure, it's a sex scandal. Yeah, Yeah. because it's a sex scandal (laughs) where the person's like being forced to get in front of it, you know, and say like I I'm Mm sorry, like I did this, you know. I I just it just feels very like Mm -hmm, you mm -hmm. would see this happen today with with somebody, you know um for sure for sure and uh yeah and then there's like is this the song where there's like a weird like like little like um high tone like bouncing around throughout it which just like unsettles me and then it like ends with that creepy have you read this you You want to see somebody on their own life which leads into burn yeah um, into burn yeah that it just sounds it almost sounds like a horror movie for a moment that line his poor wife is sort of self-aware the way that it kind of is like referencing the fact that like we talked about earlier like it's kind of like eliza's whole job to just be a bummer and be bummed out and then they're like oh his poor wife like that's what everybody says when they hear something like this but then we get this very raw moment of her actually being like i am a person but i don't even want to be in this stupid story anymore leave me alone and um is is uh yeah that's definitely a good transition out of it well let's move on to our why is this so good section we'll be talking about the three king george songs uh You'll be back. What comes next? And I know him. So why did you choose these <laughs> songs for Why Is This So Good? I picked them for a few reasons. First of all, this song, especially You'll Be Back, is near and dear to my heart because that's my karaoke song from Hamilton. Performing this song is really fun for a number of reasons. First, because it's a great song, which I guess we could talk about in a minute. Um, I love this song. And of course, then What Comes Next and I Know Him as well. Um, But it is fun to sing because it's a villain song. And it's kind of like not actually a musical with a villain. Do you agree with this take? It's like he's not actually the vi- the villain of the musical. No, I he's agree, just kind yeah. of there. Like he's off yeah, he's screen. like a commentator. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and he's the closest. This ver- the first version. You'll be back is where he's at his most villainous because it is. 
it has this, you know, it's this very sing-songy, like Queen Britpop kind of song, very catchy with this catchy hook that kind of almost violently gets stuck in your head. Like it feels a little like like you don't want to get that like if you hear that song you're gonna be singing it for the next hour or two it's just gonna get stuck in your head because it's this total earworm they repeat it over and over again everyone comes in he makes everybody singing it with him and it's kind of evil like it's he's like i know this is an earworm ha 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 you're gonna get this stuck in your head everyone (laughs) sing it with me ah ha ha like bow to my power which is a really funny musical joke i think i do think that that's on purpose that they wrote this really annoying catchy earwormy thing for it so i like that you'll be back soon you'll see you remember you belong to me you'll be back time will tell you remember that i served you well oceans rise empires fall we have seen each other through it all And when push comes to shove, I will send a fully armed battalion to remind you of my love. And then also it ends with that kind of hardcore lyric where he's like, I'll kill your friends and family to remind you of my love. And it's a funny joke, but it does neatly establish, I think, the stakes for the very next song, which is like when we meet um, George Washington and when like the war has really begun and people are getting killed. Because it reminds you that like people are dying here. This is serious. There are stakes. There are dramatic stakes. This matters. And it's fun that it ha- they sneak in at the very end of the song as this little like knife to the gut that you weren't expecting. He's like, you know, I'll like come and attack you to remind you of my love. And then he's like, I will kill your friends and family. Like I will murder the people you care about because that's what I'm about. And so as, as smiling and catchy as the song is, there's this total like it's got teeth at least in that moment. So that's, I guess that's what I like about that that initial version of it. Yeah. Cause when push comes to shove, I will kill your friends and family to remind you of my love. Da 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 harmonically like it just uses so many of those classic like the descending chord progression at the beginning it sounds like a Beatles song or like a Queen song everything about it that's it's like every chord in it you're like ah it's that chord progression oh it's that chord progression it's very it uses a lot of cliches I think very cleverly to just make you immediately get into it there's also Jonathan Groff's performance on this on the original cast recording which is so great um he's having so much fun well on all three of these really like, yeah he's having so much fun with it he's bringing like the evil glee to it um you know mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. the song definitely needs i think it's in is it in the i know him version where he's like ah! yeah i think so <laughs> like he just goes into this laugh evil, it's like, beautiful i'm like dude you're such a good singer wow <laughs> like da, 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 da. President John Adams. Good luck. So, the, and that's kind of the other funny thing about this song is 
the progression through the three versions. And that also ties in with like seeing it live, where you hear that he's sort of increasingly just becoming distant and just watching. He's like got popcorn and is kind of like, haha, let's see how you guys do. That's kind of what comes next. He's like, okay, fine. Like I can't keep fighting this war, whatever. I'm still the king. Like you guys have fun. And then I know him. He's like fully just removed from things. And it's funny. There's a kind of a deterioration that happened, at least in the version that I saw when he comes out for, you'll be back. He is like mega regal and he's wearing his full regalia huge costume and he just stands there and he like doesn't move at all and he sings the whole song and he like kind of starts bopping with the rhythm by the end but very subtly it's a funny it's a funny effect because he's kind of like yeah i'm feeling it but like i'm the king i don't move and then he comes out for what comes next and it's like in the aftermath of the battle of yorktown and like everything is destroyed and he's kind of our guy anyway he was like walking around on stage like sort of reacting and looking at people like you know injured people like limping off stage and he's kind of like whoa like oh man wow and he like stops and then he kind of comes out and he looks all kind of disheveled like he looks like he's a little beat up and then by the time i know him comes along he's totally just chilling like he's like wearing really relaxed clothes and he's like whatever and he comes out he like has a seat and he's like haha i'm just gonna i'm just here to watch like i'm just having fun which is a really fun like progression for him and deterioration as you know he kind of becomes less invested but starts having more fun i think i know him is my favorite of the three just because it's like so <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just so re- i feel like it's so relatable john adams <laughs> like that guy i don't know i just feel like we all this moment where like mm-hmm. we're at whatever industry we're in we're always like really him you know and it's like yeah her that's what i Egg? you know <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah her like that's mm-hmm, that's mm-hmm. what i feel like you know if he's going through here and it's just like oh yeah like i've been there john adams i know him that can't be that's that little guy who spoke to me all those years ago what was it 85 that poor man, they're going to eat him alive. Oceans rise, empires fall. It's like a funny little own of John Adams, the kind of unlikely president. Right, <laughs> and it's it's also just like such a different point of view than we're used to having. I mean, he's there for like, like I feel like his character's mm-hmm. there for like this outsider point of, point of view. And Yeah, uh, yeah, that's true. And it's just like not a point of view that we as Americans are used to. And I just love the the line. That's that little guy who spoke to me all those years ago. That what little was guy it? who spoke to me all those years ago. When was it? 85. Yeah, 85. And just the way he says 85 <laughs> as though it's like 1985, you know. And I don't know. Like a year, like they the they way do we- that a couple of times where he's like, I- <laughs> yeah, like I basically missed the late 80s. Yeah. It has that kind of same feeling. It, yeah, it also feels good. like... Um, Lin-Manuel Miranda had so much fun writing these because they're like lyrically Mm -hmm. I mean they're you know sophisticated lyrics still but they're not in the same way as like all those really dense yeah rhymes and I just feel like with these I can just imagine him being like all right this is going to be just a joy to write can just be like a very easy like you know rhyme scheme and you know Mm -hmm. Just keep yes. saying oceans rise, empires fall. And <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I feel like there's a lot of like um, things that kind of mark that happen in threes that kind of mark time or or at least in like a sequence, maybe mm. not three times, but like 
that like mark that are l- mm-hmm. a little bit expository but like you don't really feel that because they're like well written mm-hmm. not like exposition but um mm-hmm. that like come through and like come back and this is like one of those yeah definitely one of those types like of those things. like those kind of guitar into the 1776 like where they say the date yeah even just like the first thing we hear of the show comes the um how does a Da, mm-hmm. da, da, that how, how does a bastard orphan comes, son yeah, of a whore and a scotsman mm-hmm. that comes back and you know as saying the cabinet mm-hmm. battle like there's all these there's all these like sequences yep, yep, that yep. you know keep going back we'll move on to our next section which is something wonderful where um we'll just talk about something upcoming that we're excited about in musical theater or want to give a shout out to um that's happening right now I am currently obsessed with Hades Town, and have been both listening to the original cast recording. Actually, Hades Town, so I saw off. Really into that. Oh, I'm jealous. You've <laughs> seen it though. I really want to see it. Um, I yeah. have. I am cur- so we're reversed in this in terms of Hamilton and, and this, right. where I am picturing it all in my right, head. Right, right. But I really want to see that. There's a couple of different work things going on that might bring me to New York. If I do go to New York, I'm going to go see it. I've been listening to the Anais Mitchell's concept album of Town, which is very interesting. This is maybe a tease that I am going to do a Strong Songs episode on Town at some point. I kind of want to see it on stage first. But there's so much in that, too. It's a really richly written musical. There's a lot of really great work with motifs, very similar stuff. Um, and I think I'm just very excited about that musical. I think it's great. The trombone player on the original cast recording murders it. That guy is really good. And um, that's like it, the fact that it starts with this just banging trombone part. I like put it on for the first time and it's just this like bump, bump, bump. I was like, oh, this is going to be good. <laughs> and then it was just kind of great from there on out. So that is the thing that I, I am very currently very excited about. Uh, how about you? Nice. Well, I wanted to give a shout out to the musical that I saw over the weekend, which is off Broadway at Second Stage Theater. And that's We're Gonna Die is the title of it. Um, I saw that is it. a great title. Yeah. <laughs> I saw it um, back. They there was a version of it back in 2011, um, and it was just done in like a concert setting at Joe's Pub with the writer Young Jean Lee um, performing it with um, a small band, and it was really moving and and beautiful. And um, all of a sudden, it's back in like a. Com- almost completely new version i mean the script is the same but just it's been it's been kind of reimagined for this for a stage and not like a concert setting and it's not young gene lee performing it it's like a a different performer um the orchestrations are all different um it's just a very different experience but it was still very moving and it's it's only an hour and it just takes you through it's just some you know monologues and songs and um, but it's just on the, the idea that we're all going to die. And it's just like, interesting. you kind of, you nice. kind of leave it being like, it's good, huh? yeah, you kind of leave being like, or at least I did. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I left uh, each time I've seen it or listened to it. There's a, there's an album. Um, each time I've left or listened to it, I just leave feeling like, yeah, I'm going to die and that's okay. <laughs> Thank you all for listening to this episode of Scene to Song. You can write to scenetosong at gmail.com with a question or comment about an episode or about musical theater. 
or if you'd like to be a podcast guest. Love this podcast? Help it find more listeners by taking a moment to rate it on Apple Podcasts and leave a review. Follow us on Instagram at Scene to Song, on Twitter at Scene Song, and on Facebook at Scene to Song with Shoshana Greenberg Podcast. The theme music you are hearing is by Julia Meinwald. And check back here in two weeks for our next episode. Thank you.